So as you already heard read, the text for this morning is Matthew 28, <clears throat> the end of Matthew's gospel, very familiar passage. Part of me thinks, not sure that I'm going to tell you anything radically new today if you've been around the church for a while. And yet, as you look at this text, and as I spent a lot of time grappling with it, there was one word that I want us to focus on this morning, and a word that I think will help unfold at least one way of reading the passage, and it's the word all, A-L-L. -L. And so I wanted to figure out what the word all meant, and I went to the dictionary. That's where you figure out what words meant. And, and I looked up in the dictionary, and it reminded me of, I used to hear pastors preach, and they would say, well, all means all, and that's all all means. I think, I don't know that that's helpful. Um, although there is a sense in which the idea of all is a bit intuitive, you know, it's kind of like you know what it means. I'm glad I didn't have to write dictionaries of words that I sort of think everybody ought to know. But in the dictionary, it said something like the whole quantity or amount, like, like everything. Or the negative would be without exclusion. So if you're doing something in an all sense, you don't exclude anything, it's all. Right? I mean, you, you already knew that. So I, I thought of a couple of illustrations, and in our house, <clears throat> I noticed yesterday in our household, it's not in our house, but we have grass, not, not in the house, it's in our yard, and I, it's growing. And you know what that means? Somebody's got to cut it. And in our household, that's somebody's me, and I got to cut it all. Not just most of it, all of it. I got to cut all the grass. And, and the reason we do that is because Kathy, my wife, has allergies. <clears throat> So she doesn't cut the grass? I cut the grass. Here's what she does. She does all the laundry. All the laundry. Because I'm allergic to laundry, frankly, just to be honest with you. So it works out very well, especially in the winter. when I don't have anything to do, and she has everything to do. So that, that's really not true. Um, but so yeah, the idea of all, or if you're in Indiana in, in March, the goal is to win it all in basketball. It's not to win a lot of games, it's to win it all. Or the election. You, get, you guys know we're in election year? <laughs> Just, I don't know, maybe you didn't know that. That's why you come to church early to learn these kind of things. It's an election year, and the goal of all the people that are involved in that is to win it all. They want to be at the end, the one that gets proclaimed. You're the president of the United States, and it's scary for a lot of us to watch that process unfold isn't it? And the, the Bible loves the word all, like the verse that many of us learn early on. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All without exception. You come in here, you sit, you look nice. I see, I got a tie I wear whenever I preach, and that's the only time I wear. I look nice, right? To some of you, maybe not so much. No matter how nice I look, I'm a sinner just like you're a sinner. We all can say, if we can't say anything else, we can say we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we can also say the redeemed of God, we can say if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from most of our unrighteousness. You know, like, you know, he does a pretty good job. Or maybe it's all. And if it's not all, we're in big trouble. Because he's not satisfied with anything but total all cleansing of unrighteousness. So the word all is important. And in this text, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the word all is used four times in the original language. It's only translated that way three times, which I think is a bummer, frankly. And the fourth time I'm going to bring out, because the fourth time is at the very end, and the word all is actually there. And I got I, here, here's my argument in, in the sermon this morning, and that is, as a church of Jesus Christ, and we hear the last words of Jesus as Matthew records them before he goes up to heaven, 
And the word all is a really important word for his people, particularly with reference to the idea of evangelism and discipleship. So let's look at the first all. The first all is in verse 18. <clears throat> I hope you have your Bibles open, and I, I say this all the time. I write a manuscript, and I don't preach from a manuscript. I'm not good enough to do that. So if you're following the manuscript, and I always say this, good luck with that, maybe just listen and follow the Bible, and then you can look at the manuscript. It sort of reinforces, I hope, what I say. So all number one is in verse 18, and here's what Jesus says in the Bible, <clears throat> the word of the Lord. Jesus came and said to them, which is good gospel kind of, that's the way they wrote back then. They uses two verbs. He came and said. We would have just said, and Jesus said, but they add a little more action to it. Jesus came and said, here's what he said. Listen to the word of Jesus. Ready? Jesus said, all, got the word all, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Period. Let that seep in for a second. <laughs> All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, period. No exceptions, no exclusions, total inclusion. It's all. Which makes me want to ask this question. So what in the world does authority mean? I mean, I know what all means. I looked it up in the dictionary. What does authority mean? So I went to my Greek dictionary and I looked up authority and I came up with a definition like this, the right to rule. Authority is you've got the right to rule and you've got all right to rule all places. You're, you've got the right to execute, to execute your will. I don't, I don't know if CEO is a good term because CEOs, they sometimes get fired. They don't really, I mean, they think they have authority, but in a divine sense, He's the one who sits in thrones. Sometimes we'll use the word sovereign, like in a king sense, of it's his domain, and over his domain, he has all authority. It's his. He's sovereign, which then makes me want to ask this question. I mean, that's, that's the way you ought to read the Bible. You ask a question, then ask another question, then ask another question. So what does authority mean, right to rule? What in the world gives Jesus the right to say that he has all authority? Because I don't know what your vantage point is, but I know my vantage point is this. Anybody who says they got all authority in heaven and in earth are either really arrogant. Here's the way C.S. Lewis said it. They're either, he's either a liar. Like, you don't have all authority in heaven and earth. You're a liar, Jesus. Or you're a lunatic. You, I mean, you're one of those guys that you put in padded cells because nobody has all authority in heaven and on earth except deranged people whose minds are convoluted. Or, yeah, Lord. I mean, those are your options. And, and that's your options this morning, as a matter of fact, because here's what Jesus says. And he says it to the church at College Park, the church of Jesus Christ. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, period. And so your, 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 your dilemma or your challenge is going to be this. Is he lying to you? Or maybe not lying. Jesus isn't a liar. It's just he overstates the case. Maybe he's gotten a little too excited. Or he's just delusional. Or he's the Lord, and I'm bowing my knee before him. 
And, and then I'm going to ask myself the question, what gives you the right to say that, Jesus? And, and if you were a first century in Rome, and frankly, it's been true of humanity since the fall, the usual way that a person determines who has authority is who's the biggest and the strongest and the most powerful. So if you've got enough power, that's how you determine authority. So Rome would say this, if you want to challenge my authority, Rome would say, I've got all authority all over the place. You want to challenge that? Here's what we do to people that challenge it. We're going to beat you to within an inch of your life, and then we're going to drag you outside of a city, and we're going to nail you on a tree. We're going to put nails in your arm, and we're going to let you hang until you suffocate, and you're going to be in anguish, and you're going to be mocked, and you're going to be ridiculed as people walk next to you and beside you, and then at the end, the birds are going to eat your flesh, and the animals are going to have heyday, and you know what? Anybody that walks by that is going to say, Rome's, they're stronger than me, they're more powerful than me, they've got authority because they could kill me. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way governments rule. Matter of fact, even in the, in, in the Eastern narrative, just a couple days before Jesus made that in profound statement, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, he was in a garden, he was praying to Jesus, in the, or he was praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember, Judas came and he had a, a group of guys with him. They're called the crowd. <laughs> yeah, they're just and, and I don't know if you remember, but it's in Matthew 26. You don't need to turn to that. It's only over a couple of pages. They came to Jesus, and they had two things. They had clubs and swords. They had sticks. We're, we're going to show you who's the king. We're going to show you who's the boss here. Who's the chief priest. We're gonna show, we, and we're bringing our clubs. Here, we're coming at you, Jesus, with, with sticks. We're gonna, what are they going to do, beat him? Beat him to death with a stick? And then if you remember, one of the other Gospels, John records, so they're coming at him with their sticks and swords, and there's Jesus. And all of a sudden, they fall back. Remember that? They fall down. And I'm thinking, what did they think that was? And so they brush themselves off. And if I were them, I'd be thinking, man, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch of banana peels, and we all slipped at the same time. Or I, anyway, we're not going to worry about that. Great, we got our sticks and we got our swords, and we're coming at you. And you remember Peter's response? Pulls out his sword, going to chop the guy's head off, and he misses and gets his ear. It's just not the best shot. He, he couldn't have been going for an ear. And Jesus puts the ear back on and kind of like, what, a, what an incredible statement on the part of Jesus. And then here's what Jesus says in Matthew's gospel. He said this, you know what, Pete? Put your sword away, because if I wanted to, in verse 53, he said, I could have asked the Father, and at once he would have sent me more than 12 legions of angels. You know how many angels that is? So probably a legion is about 6,000 angels. I'm really not that good at math, but I knew I was preaching, so I did 12 times 6,000 angels is 72,000 angels, and it says more than that, so maybe it's 100,000, who knows? I would take one angel, just give me Gabriel, and I'll take on anybody, wouldn't you? I'll put my money on Gabriel, and then send another 69,999, and here's what Jesus was saying. If we're going to go power for power, if we're going to go who can kill who, I'm going to send enough angels that could annihilate all of the Roman Empire, and that could wipe out any civilization that there is on earth. I've got that kind of power. I remember my mother at Easter, she used to sing this song. It's an old, old-fashioned song. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he did the real power play. He died alone for you and for me, and he made that choice 
And that wasn't a choice of weakness, it was a choice of strength. And yet it was strength, not like the world looks at strength, like we're going to, we're, our power, we're going we're to annihilate you. As a matter of fact, the strength of Jesus, the strength upon which he made the statement, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth, was not the strength that I've got authority because I can kill you, it's I've got authority because I'm the risen Lord, I can give you life. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. It isn't I've got authority because I can kill you. It's I've got authority because I can give you life. I'm the risen Lord, and he stands as the risen Lord in front of 11 disciples who I think represent the church of Christ. So I think the message goes on to the church. And he says this, I've got the right to have all authority in heaven and in earth because I have conquered the greatest foe ever on earth. If Jesus really rose from the dead, he has the right to say, I've got all authority in heaven and in earth. Doesn't he? So, so anybody disagree with that? Well, look at verse 17 of this same text. And when they saw him, this is at least 11 disciples, and I don't know if there were more people there or not. They worshiped him. That makes sense. You come on Sunday morning. Why? Why? I hear nothing, so we don't know why we come on Sunday morning. You come on Sunday morning to, to worship the risen Lord. That's why you come on the first day of the week, because you rose on the first day of the week. And we come in, and we say, we're worshiping that risen Lord. And it says, but, I love that word, but, except sometimes, but some doubted. You think, wait a minute, how could you possibly doubt the risen Lord is there in flesh? And some doubted. I don't know if you've ever had days of doubt. So I would say, join the crowd. <laughs> and like that person in the Gospels that says, Lord, help my doubt, help my unbelief. Because there's only one person who has the right to say he has all authority, and it's the risen Lord. And when the risen Lord says he has all authority, the response is this, bow your knee and say, you're my Lord. I am at your beck and call, and my good is to do what brings glory to you risen Jesus. That's what, that's what the church says. It's what we're about. So, so then I ask this question. Do you believe that he has all authority? Or, or do you doubt? And, and in, in our good days, we're going to say, we believe, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. Do you believe it when you look at the political situation in the United States? Does God have authority? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Thank you for that assertive answer by that high-pitched voice that has a sense of authority to it. And from my perspective, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Does, does he have authority when you're struggling with sin and you're saying, this temptation, my lust is so overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, he does. He has authority in that domain. And so it isn't as though you have to give in to your lust. You have to give in to your fear. What? Why do we fear? I fear. I mean, I... I was fearing because I had to get up and preach for a whole bunch of people. Have you ever done that? I think there's a little bit of fear in you. It's a healthy fear, I hope. And, and you know what part of fear is? Part of fear is because I don't think he has all authority. I think there's certain domains where maybe he's not in charge. He really doesn't have authority. So I'm afraid. And here's what Jesus calls his church to. And that is to be a group of people who affirm and assert that Jesus has all authority. And the extent of that all authority is heaven and earth which could be like a Genesis 1, it's the entire cosmos, everything he created, or it could be the spiritual world and the physical world, and I think it's all of that, that there's no place that you're going to go and you're going to say, I, I, 
I don't know if Jesus has authority here. I'm just not quite. You know what? Any place you go, any time you go to any place that you go, you, as the, king, as the people of God, should assert what Jesus has said. Jesus, I believe you. All authority is given to you in heaven and on earth. It is. It's absolutely true. And then here's what we ought to do. We ought to repent of those days when we don't think that. <laughs> and we don't act like that. We ought to be on our knees saying, Lord God Almighty, forgive me for my sin of not believing that this is yours and acting like it's mine. So there you go. That's, yeah. You know what? We come to church once a week on the first day of the week because Jesus Christ is Lord and has all authority. All number two is in verse 19. Uh, so Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and we assert that, and we say we believe that. Then if Jesus makes a command, we're going to say, you command, we do, because that, that's the way it works. And he makes this command, and it's a twofold command. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the next all. Make disciples of all nations. And the word go, so I've taught Greek a couple times, and I... You don't need to know Greek, but it, go is actually a participle. And I, I threw this in first service, and I decided I'm going to throw it in every service. And it's a participle of attendant circumstance. So write that. Don't write that down. I don't even know if it's in the manuscript. I can't remember. But some have said it's a participle that should be translated. Now that I'm going, but it, it should be translated with the same nuance as the imperative. And the imperative is make disciples. And so there's this twofold get going and when you're going or as you get going because I'm telling you to go because I have all authority make disciples of all nations without exclusion without exception you got a mission you got a job to do let's get going let's get after that job of making disciples of all nations which then makes me ask this question what what are the nations and that, that's, a, that's a good question it's a question that, let me give you a couple of just kind of illustrations in my own life that helped me to think through what all the nations are. Last November, my wife Kathy and I took a trip with some college parkers. Like, if you take trips with, there's nothing like taking trips with college parkers. So you ought to be going on vision trips. Everybody ought to be on a vision trip at some point in time in your life at the right season. And you ought to go and get a little bit of a view of the world because the world's a lot bigger than our little sphere of stuff that we are in all, all the time. We went over to India flew forever. I mean, it was literally a forever flight. It feels like we're still flying. <laughs> and we finally arrived in Delhi and got off, and I knew we're not in, what was it, Kansas or whatever. We're, we're out of our, and then I, one, of the, one of the most distinct experiences is that we went up on top of a, of a hill, and there was a, a Christian school in the middle of a Hindu village, and they were teaching in, in English, which is what caused the, the, the students to come there. And we saw like about 200 or more little kids, about this, kid, like this, this size kids, and they were saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, with a British accent, thy kingdom come. And my heart was like, do they know what they're saying? <laughs> and then they were singing songs, and the songs were Christian songs, and I'm sure they went home in their Hindu house and were singing Christian songs. And I'm thinking, man, this is just blowing my paradigm. Whatever all nations means, it means that. It means East Asia or whatever the right verbiage is for that because that's where those guys are going. And if I were to look around, there's probably others in our midst that if we're a church and we're not looking to the nations, to the unreached people groups, then that's not the church that I want to be a part of. 
And we ought to be given money, and we ought to be given people, and we ought to be saying, Christ, the almighty risen Lord, has told us to get off of our whatever the right word you say in a good, nice Sunday morning service is, get off of that and get going. Because we've got a mission to do. We've got work to do, and it's to make disciples of all ethne, all nations. But it's not just that. Last Friday, I mean, like two days ago, I was just going out to an appointment, and by the receptionist's desk, there was this guy there, and he said, hey, I got a question for you. And I'm thinking, okay, a lot of people have a lot of questions. He pulls out a badge. He's from Homeland Security. So I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? I don't know. Hopefully nothing. Um, And he said that somebody was applying or had gotten a visa, and they said that they were going to a church on 96th in town. Thinking, how many churches are in 96th in town? Like one, like us. And, and my, my, there was a little part of me that was fear. And then another part of me thought, wait a minute. I would hope that this place, a 96 in town, is a place where people of all ethnic, all nations, all diverse, whatever, would come here and say, there's, there's, there's something about this Christian world that's open to us. I, I, I've even heard, I've heard that there are some Muslims in Carmel that think that Christians hate them. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? It is funny because Christians ought to be ones that a person, not saying you're right and we're going to pretend like there's no difference. There's obviously differences. We got a gospel message to proclaim to a world that needs that gospel of all nations. And some of those all nations are just down the street from your house and my house. Do they think we love them or not? (laughs) I'm meeting with a where there's a group of us that get together, we're going to be meeting next Sunday morning during the third hour, and we're talking about ethnic issues, you know, like black-white issues. You know black-white issues? Which you're not allowed to talk about, but they're there. <laughs> and, and, and I think everybody in that group, they're all Christians, and by the way, you're invited to come and have a discussion about the church is a group of people who, who bow the knee to the one who is all authorities given to me in heaven and on earth and go to all as all diverse, and, and that that ought to be manifest within the church. So the church ought to look like, and I look around and I, I see some of that, and I say, God, to your glory, may there be more and more of the nations that are represented and, and, and ethnic diversity that comes out within our church, not just because that's the cool thing to do, because Jesus Christ, has, I've got all authority in heaven and in earth. <clears throat> and then here's, here's my last illustration that kind of fits this. I think it was two months ago. I don't know. It was, last, it was last year. I got a phone call from my daughter. When I get a phone call from my daughter, that takes priority over everything except a phone call from my wife or Jesus. And I haven't gotten any from Jesus on my cell phone anyway because he's bigger than that. And so she calls. I answer. And then she says, Parker has something he wants to tell you. And Parker's the six-year-old grandson. And, you know, so I'm thinking, wow, if Parker has something to say, that's real high on my priority list too. Not necessarily that it's going to change my life necessarily. This one did, though. He said, hey, granddad. He said, I accepted Jesus as my Savior today. And I don't know about you, so I'm, I'm like about ready to die. You know, it's like, Jesus, go ahead, you can take me. It's enough. I, and I say that jokingly, but seriously, because I don't know what I'm here for, but at least a part, I remember the day that his mom was came to Christ. And I remember now him, and, and of course then he said, and I did it three times. And I was like, okay, we got some theology. It's Trinitarian, that's good, but 
you know, somehow we got to work through this. We went to his house, brought him a Bible. It's like, granddad's going to give you a Bible. And by the way, I've got a whole bunch of books in my library. So that on that day when you decide to become a pastor, you're in good state. Not to push you. I mean, you can do whatever God calls you to. I just hear God calling. <laughs> yeah, so, so I would say this. When you say go and make, the, when Jesus says make disciples of all nations, it certainly includes the nations out there. It certainly includes our next door neighbor. It certainly includes the people down the street. Don't miss the people in your own house, dads. Make disciples of those children that God's given to you. And if you say, well, I'm single, and I say, I, I tell you what, we can line you up with some households that have enough kids that they can share them with you. <laughs> Raise your hands if you're looking for somebody that'll be so gospel-driven that they're going to say, don't miss your kids. Don't say, man, you know, I just don't have enough time. I'm so busy at work. Here's what the king says. All authority's given me to heaven and earth, and I got one message for you. Here it is. Go and make disciples of all, without exclusion, nations. And then, then it goes into the next. It kind of describes what that means. There's a twofold description, and these two words are actually participles. They're ing words. So if you don't like participle, you, here's two things you do: baptizing and teaching. Baptizing, teaching. Baptizing, teaching. We've we've had some groups in, in our pastoral staff trying to figure out how do, we, how, do we, how do we figure this discipleship thing out. And it's been amazingly complex. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably contribute to that. I read this text and it's amazingly simple. <laughs> it's two things, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing, teaching, baptizing, teaching. And I think the distinction between them, and there's a ton we could say about it. I don't have time to tell you a ton. So I'm just going to say this. I think baptizing is not salvific, meaning you don't get baptized to get saved. But I also think in the first century church, in the early church, people didn't know of somebody who was an unbaptized Christian. Like you don't do it to be saved, but when you're saved, you do it. And it isn't just a hollow, like, that's a weird thing. You get into a tank and you get dunked. That's weird. That's strange. Now, you know what? On one level, it is strange. On another level, I look at the face of the king who said, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people, and then you're going to baptize them. And that baptism is a statement that's much bigger than what the external sign is. The statement is this. I am identifying with, I am in union with the one who loved me so much that he went to the cross and died for my sins and he was buried and he rose again victorious as the one triumphant over death and he offers me that life and that's the guy, that's the person that I want to be associated with for the rest of my life. And that's what baptism is. It's a big, big, big statement in a really wet, wet, wet kind of a way, isn't it? So I, I like to do visual aids. So we're going to do a baptism this morning. How's that for a visual aid in the middle of the sermon? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's right. It's what it's all about. Joe Whitmer's our recently ordained pastor of student ministries. And so Joe and I were talking, and I said, wouldn't it be cool to have some of our own students baptized as we're reading the text that says, baptize them, and Joe's going to get to baptize, so go for it, man. Good morning, College Park. This is Katie, and I'm going to have her share her testimony with you this morning. Hi, my name is Katie Hayes. I'm 17 year old, years old, and I'm a sinner. 
As a child, I knew what sin was. I knew you weren't supposed to lie, cheat, or steal, but though I felt guilty for my actions, it didn't really stop me. That is until I visited my grandparents' Missionary Baptist Church, as we did every once in a while. It was that day, I was around the age 10 or 11, when there'd been a particularly passionate <laughs> pastor preaching that morning. I'd prayed and prayed, desperately confessing my sins that the only way was through God and Jesus Christ is my one and only Savior. I left the sermon feeling humbled, knowing I had been saved from that glowing feeling in my chest. The issue was that I didn't have any idea how to put my faith into practice, so it kind of faded to the background of my life. A while later was the biggest turnaround I have ever faced. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. She brought us here to College Park, which led me to the ministry center and youth group. I can honestly and confidently say that God strategically placed everyone around me in my life for good reasons, and I didn't know where I'd be without them. The friends I made at youth group are incredible, from sending me verses in the morning and leaving me little notes to make me feel better. I've had trouble in the past putting my faith, in <laughs> faith to trust God's plan. But in Matthew 17, 20, it says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This verse helps me to see that when my faith wavers, God's power is amazing when unleashed upon those who have faith. I am being obedient by being baptized and sharing with you that I am and will continue to follow Jesus. So, Katie, are you this morning confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I am. And are you committing, him, committing to him to follow him with your whole life? I am. Wonderful. And then it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's my best visual aid ever. <laughs> and it didn't fit in a bag. <laughs> and it, it is a visual aid, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but if you're one of the people of God and you have on some occasion said Jesus is Lord and you bowed your knee and you look at that, there ought to be a sense of reenactment. Kind of like when you go to a wedding and you say, I remember when I did that. And, it, and it, it's, it's more than just some, like, he just dunked somebody, got them all wet. Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, isn't that nice? But isn't that an incredible affirmation of the lordship of Jesus and one who's been transformed and now is identifying with Jesus and says, I'm going to go out and make more disciples like I was made a disciple of. Yeah, that's the mission. And I love our young people. We got a couple of them somewhere, I don't know. And so I, we ought to be praying for student ministries. We ought to be praying for, for the people of God that God's brought to us so that we're baptizing them in the Trinitarian reality of the Father, Son, Spirit. I'd like to preach a whole sermon on that. And then we also are teaching them. So they go out of there. And you know what? You can say, yeah, go to the youth group, and then you get to learn. I would say this. Maybe we ought to all be teaching one another. We ought to be. The idea of teaching, I think, is growing. It's not being static. It's saying discipleship is this. We are moving closer to Jesus. 
We're going to learn more about him. We're going to talk to each other about him. We, we, can, we can come up with programs, and we're going to be working on some things. But in the end of the day, it's the people of God saying, it's us. We've been commissioned, and the commission is this, to go and talk to the, eth- to the nations, to the ethne, and tell them about Jesus, and then teach them after they're baptized. Which, by the way, if you've never been baptized, this is a great opportunity. There's a big pool there. We're not going to do any more today. Well, we are going to do one in third service, but we'd be glad for that to happen to you and then that we be the people of God that walk on mission and the mission is proclaiming the gospel. There's one more all. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, which by the way is the basis of Christian faith. If he doesn't have all authority, get up and walk out now. Seriously. If he does have all authority, bow your knee and say, I'm listening. And it isn't just, I'm listening, it's more like, I want you, and and then he's given you a commission. The commission is that your whole life is to be given over to proclamation of gospel and life and word, and baptizing and teaching. Then the last all, I am so glad that Matthew ends his gospel with this statement, and Jesus says it. He says, and behold, King James used to say, and lo, (laughs) I mean, that's like, That's like Easter stuff, you know. Lo, or behold, or indeed, I am with you. That little preposition with is huge. I'm with you. And here's the way it should be translated so you can scratch it out in your Bible and put it in there. All the days, which... To be translated could be always. It just doesn't carry that thrust of all because you can take a calendar and you can flip every day on that calendar. Keep flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and there's never going to be one day on the days that you flip on that calendar that God's not with you. Never, never. Or he's a liar. When you go through the hardest day you go through and the hardest experience of life, When you have an opportunity to share the gospel with the hardest person you've ever shared the gospel with, he's with you all the days, without exception, without exclusion. So to the extent that he has all authority to that same extent, he's promised his presence with you all the days of your life until the end of the age, which is when he will be with you and you will be with him forever. I asked myself, do I believe that? I'll tell you one of the illustrations that came to me just recently. My uh, brother, Don, who prayed today, and his wife, Cheryl. I've known Don all his life because he's a year younger than me. <clears throat> his life hasn't been perfect. <laughs> but it's been better than mine. So how's that? And uh, so we both had wives that were pregnant at the same time, and his wife gave birth first because they started earlier than us, like a month earlier, and Josh was born, and then my daughter Tammy was born like 30-plus years ago. And then both of them have had kids. You know how that goes. That, that's the way it ought to go. It's so much fun when the kids have kids. And so his son Josh and Amanda had little babies two months ago, and Hundreds of you have prayed for them. Daniel is one. Henry's the other. They're in the NICU just down the street, literally, on town. And they're little guys that were born less than two pounds, and they've been gluttons. They're like four now. I mean, it's like, wow, they've doubled their weight, which is no small deal for those of you that know more about it than I do. And here's what I've observed. Their parents seem like they're there all the time because it's their kids. 
and their grandparents, and I know how grandparents are, they're there like all the time too, except when they're watching Liam. And he's a pastor, so he has a few other things to do. But when they're not there in the NICU, and some of you have been associated with that, those guys, and I mean, we have people in our church that it's just like I've gotten this new admiration for people who 24-7 are watching these incredibly little image bearers of God who, if they weren't watching them, when their heart starts to go a little bit slow, <laughs> that's Henry on the left, by the way. I mean, you can tell the difference, right? They're <laughs> twins. Henry and Daniel, that was an amazing picture of God's grace. So the NICU, they're watching them 24-7. They've got them monitored. They've got them all hooked up so that there's never been a minute. And, and yet, you realize, don't you, there's a bigger picture than that. There's the God who has all authority in heaven, in earth, in NICUs, in hospital ERs, everywhere. And he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's nothing that's going to stop the presence of God from being with his people. And so when God says, I got all authority, and he says, I got a mission for you to do, and you got you to proclaim the gospel to all ethne, and you got to teach them all that I've commanded you. But let me give you an incredible encouragement, and that is I'm going to be with you all the days. So you're not going to go at it alone. You're not going to be called by God to go out into a mission, into, out into some sort of an enterprise where God says, I'm not with you. And I would say this, if God is with me, who can be against me? He didn't spare his own son. He delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him freely give us all things? Those things go through my head. And so I think when I go out of this service this morning and I'm called by God to go out and maybe talk to my next door neighbor, maybe I'm going to experience some sort of challenge this week, God is with me all the days of my life. And what we're going to do in concluding our sermon this morning, so we actually got two visual aids today. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper, and if the people that are going to serve would come forward. So we've seen a baptism, and now we're going to do the Lord's Supper. And you know, I don't know what you think of the Lord's Supper. Maybe it's what you think of baptism. It's just sort of a ritual, you know. Here's what it is. I'll show it to you. It's a goofy little cracker, goofy might not be the right word, but in Greek, you know, or something. And it's this, not the best tasting grape juice, and you put the two together. The church has done this for 2,000 years, and here's what the church affirms when we do it. We affirm that Jesus Christ gave his body for us, and that he shed his blood as a covenant where I'm committed to you, church. I'm committed to you, my people, and I want you, when you gather together every now and then, I want you to partake of this, and it isn't just go through the ritual. It isn't that it's going to cleanse you and make you more holy. It's this, that it's going to give you a sense of remembrance. You'll remember my death, but then there's also a sense of anticipation. I'm coming back, and in between, I came for you, and I'm coming back for you. I'm with you all the days of your life. So when you take this this morning and you eat of it, and, and you put that cracker in, and you get it and then down it, and then you, and you that, here's what you ought to go out with. The Lord is with me. Jesus is with me. His witness as represented in the cup, and his witness such that the authoritative Lord took care of my biggest problem, <laughs> my sin. And that's why we gather together as the people of God, and that's why we go out on mission because of what we commemorate in the Lord's Supper. So if you would hold the elements, we're going to partake of them together. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I am so glad you came this morning. And, and my offer to you would be this. It's not this table. It's Jesus. 
that you trust in him. The table is for the redeemed. It's a table of fellowship. And today's the day of salvation for you. So what a, what a, there's no better day than today to come to Christ.